0: So last week, if you were here, you may remember that we talked about how in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament that we call the Gospels, it seems that Jesus spent most of his time asking people questions. Someone counted just over 300 of them. And even if you allow for some repetition in the same stories, there's still somewhere between two and 300, which is pretty amazing. And then when Jesus uh, was asked a question, he only directly answered three of them, apparently, because he loved to answer a question with a question. And we talked last week about some of what the reasons might be why he did that. And I suggested that one of those reasons is because when we're just talking to a crowd, like I'm talking to you now, it's easy to take or leave what's being said. But when someone asks you a personal question by name, then of course it's very different. When Jesus says to the crowd, love the Lord your God with all your heart is the most important commandment, then that's interesting information that we can write down. But when he says, do you love me with all of your heart? As he said to Peter, one of his disciples in John 21, then that takes it to a whole new level, doesn't it? Suddenly, it's no longer just interesting information. This time, as they say, it's personal. Do you happen to know where that phrase came from? Anybody know? This time, it's personal. It comes from the fourth Jaws movie, (laughs) Jaws The Revenge. A film that was described as otherwise forgettable. Apparently Michael Caine, who was in the film, he was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for his performance in the film, but it didn't even win that. Who says you never learn anything at Ellsbury Vineyard on a Sunday morning? Surely worth the price of admission alone. Anyway, last week we looked at just one event in Jesus' life where we saw that kind of conversation being played out. Where Jesus starts by asking a general question... What do people think? And then he narrows it down and he makes it personal. What do you think? So let's have another quick look at this story together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, come back to life again, in other words. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Jesus starts with, Who am I? What do people think, generally? And then he says, What do you think? Who am I to you, personally? And we said last week that as well as it being personal, when Jesus asks us by name, Steve, do you love me? Lynn, do you love me? Put your own name in the question. Do you love me? As well as it being personal, our answer comes with some implications. If you love me, how is it going to affect your life? Because loving Jesus comes with implications. And you know, it's interesting that Jesus only actually asks that question of anybody once. And it comes in the very last chapter of John's Gospel after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's about to return to heaven. Jesus has spent all of this time with his disciples, about three years, and he's been with them pretty much night and day. And they've followed him around and they've listened to his teaching and walked miles and miles across the countryside with him, had lots of meals with him but he's never apparently asked them that question before and i think the reason for that is because the main focus of jesus ministry as far as he was concerned was to tell people and to show people how much god loved them but of course in any relationship when you love a person yourself obviously you want them to love you as well and of course god is the same even though his love for us is unchanging whether we love him back or not he still loves us and of course Jesus the son of God coming into our world was to show us that love to become like us to suffer like us to experience the ups and downs of life like us and of course crucifixion on a cross as the ultimate demonstration of how much he loves us Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. He shared in our finite life so we could one day share in his eternal life. He experienced our kind of death so we could experience his kind of resurrection. You see, rising from the dead for Jesus wasn't just a way of proving that he was God. Rising from the dead was God changing the rules of what happens in human life. Up until then, death meant death. And without Jesus, death still means death. But with Jesus, death is just a stepping stone to sharing in his eternal life. And eternal life is not just a new quantity of life for when we die... It's not just a ticket to heaven that we put in our back pockets for when we're old and we need it. Eternal life is a new quality of life that starts now. The transformation of our life begins now. When we invite Jesus into our life, we're now in a relationship with Almighty God in which we start to know him personally as our Father, our Friend and our God. So the main focus of the Bible and the main focus of Jesus' ministry was to tell people and to show people how much God loves them. Here's just one of the ways that the Bible sums this up. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. We love because he first loved us. God's love came first, and he invites us to respond to it. So if you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you'd like to be in a relationship with Almighty God, so that you can know him personally as your heavenly father, your friend and your God, then we'd love to pray with you at the end of the service. Linda or I will happily pray with you or maybe the person that you came with or or someone that you know, we'd love to pray with you. So think about that and if it's something that you'd like, please don't leave here this morning without taking that opportunity. So last week we were looking at when Jesus says to people, who am I? And we said how really that's only half the question. Because the most important bit of the question isn't who am I in an academic sense. It's who am I in a personal sense. It's who am I to you. So this morning what I'd like to do is to carry on from last week. And I'd like to look at those same questions but this time we're going to look at them from the opposite direction. Instead of it being Jesus who asked those questions to us, who am I and who am I to you? We're going to ask him those questions. Who am I and who am I to you? We're going to look at uh, a story in the Old Testament about someone called Gideon in the book of Judges. And it's the story of someone who asks God that exact question. Who am I? Someone who thinks he already knows the answer to that. And it's an answer that he's actually pretty ashamed of. But this man, Gideon's life is transformed when he gets an answer to that second question, which he didn't ask. Who am I to you? And as we look at Gideon's conversation with God... I want to invite you to ask God that same question yourself who am I what's my life for what does my life mean have you even noticed that I exist God and then I'm also going to invite you to be brave enough to ask God that second question who am I to you and let's see what he says So we're going to be reading from the book of Judges. Uh, Let me just quickly put that in context for you. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And then the next four books are Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And they're all about how God delivered the people of Israel from captivity in Egypt and their journey through the wilderness. And if you've seen the Prince of Egypt, then you'll roughly know the story. The next book is called Joshua who took over from Moses and led Israel into the Promised Land. And then Judges comes straight after that. So the Israelites are in the Promised Land, but now Joshua is dead, and there's a bit of a leadership vacuum. And to be honest, things are in a bit of a mess. For seven years now, the Midianites have been invading Israel every harvest time and destroying the crops and stealing their livestock... So Israel has no food and they're starving. And then finally, after seven years of this happening, it says that the Israelites cry out to the Lord for help. So who is God going to send? What kind of person is he going to ask to save the people? What kind of leader is he going to choose? Because that's what a judge was, not like our high court judges today. What kind of person is God going to call on? So we'll pick up the story in uh, chapter 6 of Judges from verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in opera that belonged to Joas the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Let's just pause there for a moment. Now, normally, if you are threshing wheat, as we all do from time to time, you do it outside in a high place where there's plenty of wind to blow away the husks from the grain. And you use oxen to do the work. But a wine press was dug into the ground, which meant if you were threshing wheat there, it was really hard to separate the grains. You'd only get a tiny bit of wheat and you'd be doing a job that animals would normally do. So this is a fairly pathetic scene. It's humiliating and it's all happening because Gideon is afraid of the Midianites. He's hiding away below ground. And yet the angel of the Lord says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And that's you, singular. So reading on, pardon me my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, plural, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So God wants to talk to Gideon about Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God wants to have a personal conversation about Gideon's relationship with him. But Gideon changes the subject. And you know, so often when there's stuff going on in our lives, we want just to talk to him about the stuff. But he wants to talk to us about us. About him and us. We let the stuff get in the way. And it's not that he isn't interested in the stuff, it's just that he always wants to start with me and my relationship with him. So the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but who am I? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites. I want you to notice two things in this conversation. The first is that how God is seeing Gideon is completely different to how Gideon is seeing Gideon. They're answering this, who am I, question completely differently so Gideon is focusing on all his weaknesses and everything that he feels disqualifies him from being used by God and serving God he's the weakest, he's the least he's afraid and he has no confidence he says I can't do it you've got the wrong guy Lord ask someone else instead someone else will do it so much better and then the second thing we see and this makes all the difference is two things that God says. Number one, it's me who's sending you. And number two, I will be with you. Because God's strength plus anyone is always a winning team. And that's why Gideon can go in the strength he has. And why God isn't interested in the strength that he doesn't have. I will be with you is what makes the difference. And that's exactly how it goes when God has the same conversation with us. When we focus on our weaknesses and everything that we feel disqualifies us. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. I'm afraid. I have no confidence. Everything that makes us say to him, I can't do it. You've got the wrong guy, Lord. Ask someone else instead. Someone else will do it so much better. Now, let me just quickly clear up one thing that you may be thinking. God isn't just being super nice to Gideon to the point of telling porky pies just to make him feel better about himself. God really sees Gideon that way. He sees Gideon as someone who's got all the strength he needs, whatever Gideon thinks. So he really means it when he says, Mighty warrior. And the word that's used here is the same Hebrew word that's used in the title, mighty God. So he's saying, in my eyes, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, like I'm a mighty God. So, given the fact, I think we can take it as read, that God does not make mistakes, I wonder why he would choose someone like this man, Gideon. And I think it probably boils down to this. The things that we feel disqualify us are more often than not the things that qualify us in God's way of thinking. Because everything changes when that question moves on from us saying to God, who am I? And we're thinking of all the negative things that we feel about ourselves, the things that cripple us from contributing in the kingdom and stop us hearing what God is saying to us and about us. Everything changes when we're brave enough to ask and we hear God answer that second question. Who am I to you, Lord? Because as we saw with Gideon, who we are to God makes all the difference to who we are to ourselves. How God sees you makes all the difference to how you see yourself if you listen to him and if you believe him when he says it so I wonder whether for some of us this morning it's time to move on from that first question from just saying who am I and answering that question with all the things that we feel we're not all the things that have been stopping us being the person we are and the person we could be and the person we should be in his kingdom. And maybe it's time for some of us to be asking God that second question. Who am I to you, Lord? And to listen to his answer, because that is the one that counts. So if you feel you're ready to ask that question, I want to finish this morning with telling you what I think he's going to say. Now you may say, well, that's a bit arrogant, Steve, isn't it? speaking for God how on earth do you know well it would be arrogant of course if we didn't have the Bible as God's words, word to us if we didn't already know what that has to say because it's the word of God we can rely on everything that it says to us, about us and how God sees us we can rely on it being true then when it was written and true now Because God, of course, doesn't change, and God never contradicts himself. So everything that he would say to us now in speaking to our hearts and our minds is always consistent with what he says in the Bible. How good is that? How much easier does it make it for us to hear what God's saying? So let me quickly share with you a few things that God has to say about who you are to him. Psalm 139, you created the deepest parts of my being. You put me together inside my mother's body. How you made me is amazing and wonderful. I praise you for that. What you have done is wonderful. I know that very well. So, God made you the way that you are, He designed you. You were not a mistake. You are amazing and wonderful. His work in creating you is wonderful, just the way you are. So the way that you are doesn't come as a surprise to him, or a shock to him, or a disappointment to him. So here's the question. Do you know that very well? Do you know that he thinks that you are wonderful and amazing? It's time to accept that. And it's time to stop disagreeing with the creator of the universe about who you are and how much you mean to him. And whatever has happened to you in life and whatever is happening, it says this in Romans 8. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life... Nothing we do, and nothing that any demonic power can do. Nothing in our past, and nothing in our future. Nothing in all creation. Look at the list, and I think that's pretty comprehensive. I think that is everything. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we invite Jesus to be Lord of our life not just someone else's Lord, not just the person sitting next to me's Lord, when I invite Jesus to be my Lord, he says, just like he said to Gideon, I will be with you. Which, as we've seen, makes all the difference. And of course, Jesus brings with him that amazing love for us from which nothing can ever separate us. Uh, Three more, very quickly, Colossians 1 He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. If you feel like you've been living under a dark cloud, if you feel that darkness has been dominating your life, when you become a Christian, it's like moving house. So you don't live in that old neighbourhood anymore. It's an invitation to move from the place where darkness rules to the place where Jesus rules. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to worry about the strength I have because Jesus plus me is always a winning team. So it's time to start seeing ourselves differently, to start seeing who I am through the lens of whose I am, to look at everything through the lens of someone who belongs to Jesus. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 6. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't it incredible that God would not only want to be our creator and have a kind of command and control relationship with us, but that he wants us to think of him as our heavenly father and have a parent-child relationship with him instead which is why of course uh, the lord's prayer that jesus taught his disciples starts with an invitation to pray to him in that way our father so this uh, this story of gideon isn't in the bible by accident it's been put there as an encouragement especially to those of us who have a hard time accepting ourselves and believing that God could ever do anything through us. That God not only loves to use those of us who've spent our lives feeling weak and inadequate, unworthy of being anything or achieving anything, he not only loves to use people like us, but he deliberately chooses to use people like us as well. So when he says to you, the Lord is with you, Mighty warrior, go in the strength you have. He has not made a mistake. He isn't talking to someone else. And just in case you think that Gideon is the only example, there's a whole long list of people like him throughout the Bible. This is what some of them said. Moses, I can't talk well enough. I've never been good with words. I stutter and stammer. Jeremiah, I'm not qualified. Look at me, I don't know anything. Jeremiah again, I'm too young, I'm only a boy. Jonah, I want to run away. It says that he got up and went the other direction, as far away from God as he could get. Peter said, I can't do it. I'm not spiritual enough, I can't do what you're expecting me to. Elijah, I'm too scared. He ran for his life. And of course, Gideon, I'm just and nobody they all said in their own way God you're making a mistake and all of them sincerely meant it as well do any of them remind you of you and then there's the Apostle Paul who wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else he was the greatest theologian in the history of the church but it seems that he wasn't much better He says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he had what he called a thorn in the flesh. No one knows what that was, but it was almost certainly some painful physical condition that he says uh, tormented him. It may have been malaria or an eye condition that affected his vision. But he didn't focus on that. He didn't let the stuff going on in his life affect his relationship and his calling Because he knew that whatever was going on in his life, God loved him and God was with him. So instead, what does Paul do? He focuses on the same two things that God said to Gideon. It's me who's sending you, and I will be with you. So go in the strength you have. And there's a mention of Paul's physical appearance in a second century text, and it says he was... Small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, stocky, with eyebrows meeting, and rather long-nosed. Which is not exactly what a Christian superstar is supposed to look like, is it? They'd never have had Paul on the God channel. But God knew what he was doing when he called him. And he knows what he's doing when he calls you as well. John Wimber, who was the main founder of the Vineyard Movement, he used to say, never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. And that's a reference to Genesis 32 and Jacob's wrestling with the angel of the Lord, after which he walked with a limp as well. Dan Allender wrote a book called Leading with a Limp, and he said this, The most effective leaders don't rise to power in spite of their weaknesses, They lead with power because of their weaknesses. So where are you at this morning, do you think? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. Who am I? What's my life for? What does my life mean? And maybe you're still wondering the answers to that. Can you really come to him and Serve him with the strength that you have, just as you are. Maybe the way you've been answering those questions is completely out of sync with how you now know that God is answering them. Just like Gideon's view of himself was completely at odds with God's view of him. Who you are in Christ. Who you can be in Christ. But really... The big question, the most important question, because everything else flows from that, is to be brave enough to ask the Lord, who am I to you? Who am I to you? And maybe for the first time this morning, to believe in who you are to him as well.